Hey everybody, this is episode number one of the mini-series known as the Rational Right Brain. And as I mentioned in the introduction to the Ikigai Stories podcast, there are three uh, interviews that I conducted under the banner of uh, Rational Right Brain, which was focused on a dialogue um, highlighting the intersection of right brain creativity and left brain logic. These three interviews are with three incredible people. Uh, These three interviews also showcase my struggle in finding my due north. Uh, These were conducted before I figured out and immersed myself into Ikigai. And I was faced with a decision where I could either delete these interviews or not publish these interviews, um, or I could publish these interviews and, you know, edit them, put a lot of lipstick on them, or I could just be, just own it. Uh, I've decided to go with number three, just own it. So what you're going to hear in these interviews are um, some incredible wisdom and insights from some great people. Uh, From my vantage point, the quality of discussion, the, the quality of questioning, the dialogue is mediocre. Uh, at best, admittedly. And, you know, I I decided to own it because, one, I want to honor the investment of time uh, and the value of wisdom that that these three are sharing. And, two, I just, I I think it's more authentic. Um, If you can hear that struggle uh, in my voice before finding Ikigai, and then you can hear the confidence and conviction and focus on a post-Ikigai. So uh, the first guest on this episode, episode number one, is Gisela Bustiles. Uh, Gisela is a filmmaker, uh, recently premiered her documentary called A Brief History of Time Travel, and Gisela talks about her journey from the NYU Tisch School of Arts, where she got a degree in film uh, with honors and had decided to commit herself to, uh, to film which required moving home and moving back in with mom and dad in order to save money to, uh, to launch this documentary. Uh, she also talks about the actual documentary itself, obviously, where she shares uh, the perspective from, you know, uh, every, everyone from physicists to philosophers to Bill Nye, the science guy, and really shed some light on, you know, the unique um, wide scope of, of time travel. Um, she comes at it from a comic book angle. She comes at it from a back to the future angle, but she also comes at it from a very academic, uh, angle. And at one point even corrects me and says time travel is real, uh, and references, you know, um, physicists, uh, or physics, I should say. Uh, Giselle's currently getting her master's in entrepreneurship at the Foster School of Business at the University of Washington, where she will graduate later uh, this year, and uh, she shares some great, great wisdom. So please hang in there while I stumble around and search for uh, uh, quality dialogue. Uh, but she's sharing some great insights, and uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation with Gisela. Uh, hi, Gisela. Hi, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. You, you are the inaugural guest 
of the Rational Right Brain podcast. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I figured we just jump right in and um, you know, the goal here is to learn a little bit more about you, learn about your inspiration, learn about what you're doing, your intention. Um, so if you can just start, share, talk. start talking and, and uh, <laughs> tell us about Gisela. Yeah, um, I guess, I don't know, I don't even know how to start. <laughs> so sorry. What is this out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm, I'm a filmmaker. Um, I recently completed um, my first feature-length documentary called A Brief History of Time Travel, which is about the history and pop culture of time travel. So if you're into Back to the Future and Doctor Who, that's what my documentary is about. So obviously I'm a huge nerd. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. Um, but yeah, I ended up getting into film. I think I grew up always watching documentaries um, like National Geographics, and I didn't really know that I wanted to be a filmmaker until high school mm. when I did like a little short video project in order to get out of writing an essay. Mm -hmm. And after that, I definitely caught the bug. Um, then I ended up going to um, Tisch. Uh, NYU for film and TV, which was a lot of fun, and I learned a lot of really good skills there. Um, after that, I was working at an ad agency for a little bit, and then I got to this point in my life where I was like, oh, well, I should probably make a film, otherwise I'm going to regret it, because I went to film school, and that's mm -hmm. something that I wanted to do. So I quit my job, I moved back home, and I started this documentary and here I am back in Seattle <laughs> so originally from Seattle yes went to NYU yes what was the draw of NYU um, I think part of it was I wanted to move to a completely different part of the country um, I really wanted to have like that kind of sense of adventure and then also it was a really good film school so mm -hmm. all of that and it's New York who doesn't want to go to New York at that age right yeah right uh, do you remember the the documentary that you the or sorry the initial film the documentary the video that you did yeah, in high school? Yeah, so I actually so I went to a Catholic school, uh, Holy Names on Capitol Hill. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and uh, for my religion class, we had to um, do a project on martyrs, and you could either write an essay or you could like do a presentation, and I thought the best way to get out of that is to just do a film instead, and I ended up doing my documentary on Nelson Mandela. Cool. So I just went around with a camera and a microphone and just went up to people and asked them like what they thought about Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did anybody else do a film? No, for I was their the project? I was the only one. Yeah. And so what? So what? What about that film or that experience led you to where you're at right now? I think I really liked. Um, meeting people and talking to people and like learning about something. I think film is kind of, or do documentaries specifically, are kind of like a mechanism for me to like get to um, see a different part or a different culture than I normally wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, uh, so that reminds me of Cuba. You've been to Cuba. Yes. Right? So yeah. can, can you share a little bit about why Cuba initially and what you learned in Cuba and just maybe paint some color on, on that experience. Definitely. So I did my study abroad in Cuba. I think there was 
several different options that we could have gone to um, like the UK and to like go work at the BBC or something or go to Ireland and do like a music video and there was one option which is Havana Cuba and I was like well I'm not gonna have the chance to go to Havana so it was another adventure yeah. it's like something that nobody else has really done it's like a unique experience like um, that was the reason why I decided to go um, but when I was there uh, I forgot the question what was it well just um Maybe talk about the experience. I mean, I, probably yeah. going in with cameras to Cuba, um, what was that experience like? What, so this was 2009, is that right? I think so. I can't remember. It was when I was still in, yeah, I think either 2009 or 2010. And yeah. were, were like, what would, just filming in yeah. Cuba, Yeah. what, like, were there challenges and just getting cameras into Cuba initially or was not it? really actually yeah. like Cuba has a really good film program there like it's called Ika Ike. Um, there's a lot of awesome filmmakers that come out of there and they have film festivals so there's already like a film community there um, of Cuban like filmmakers and so the program was they would pair like a group of us from NYU with um, filmmakers in Ika Ike, and then we would um, as a group like work on films together yeah yeah so it was a great way to like actually make friends and meet different people from there so it's not like it's a little bit Cuba's tricky because the way that it's set up it's very um, segregated mm -hmm. according to like the people who actually live there and um, the tourists yeah like when we went to Cuba we couldn't stay like we had to stay in a hotel. The government would tell you like where you're allowed to stay. So yeah. just the fact that you're staying in a hotel, you're not going to have the same experience as yeah. like actually living there. So did they? Did the government tell you who and who you could film and like like what type of controls did they have on on the film? Well, um, you weren't allowed to like leave the city, so uh, you had to stay. That was like a huge rule. Like if yeah. you left, yeah. then you would have to, you would get kicked out of the program basically. Uh -huh. So I think that actually happened to a couple students oh, really? the following year because they ignored that rule and they ended up traveling to like a different city and so they found out so they had to leave the program. Hmm. Yeah. So I saw um, The Sandwich Maker. That was that the documentary it that you did? was snooping on me, yeah. yeah that was <laughs> yeah. cool. Thank you. That was yeah. really cool. Thank you. Um, there, was, there was a part that he had said what was his name? Do you remember? Oh my gosh, I don't remember his okay. name. Well, yeah. so he said, I, I can't, he, so I just wrote down, it's the, it's philosophy that makes the difference. Yeah. And he was, I think he was talking about, like, passion for making sandwiches. Yeah. And how that. Yeah. Should ripple, have a ripple effect throughout life or something. Definitely. Like, is that right? Yeah, yeah. it yeah. was. I think, yeah. like, that, so I met him, um, he his little sandwich shop is like at the corner of this tiny like street and it's like this very small like kind of dilapidated like building like the way Cuba is it's not like as glamorous as you would see like from the 1950s and everything it's like it's kind of stuck in time and everything's kind of beautiful but it's falling apart and so his sandwich shop is like in one of these little cross sections and uh, he's just the most zen like happy person doing this very simple thing like it's a very simple sandwich it's not like the cuban sandwiches that we see here in the mm -hmm. states it's like just like small piece of bread like some ham some mustard some cheese and that's it yeah. 
um, and pickles. And pickles. Optional pickles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he's just. I think it's especially here in the states. Uh, I think it's very hard for us to find like happiness and like mm -hmm. like pride in like doing something like that. And he definitely has that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Did so how did that impact you on your journey? Or did it? It definitely did. Um, I think it's something that it's hard to think about now because, you know, when you're so caught up in your real life, like everything today, like it's it's hard to like take kind of take a step back and like try to like um, treasure like that whole process of like even like mastering something. Right. It's just yeah. like doing being proud of like what you're doing. Um, but it's definitely something that I kept in mind, like as I been doing filmmaking. <laughs> so did you have other films that you, you, was that your film coming out of Cuba? Yeah, yeah. I did a couple other ones. One, um, I got to do, I did a short film on a Santeria um, experience. It's not an experience, it's like a, like a cleansing. I think it was like a Santeria cleansing okay. ritual. Okay. So that was really cool. What's a Santeria? Santeria is like kind of like voodoo, but it's not really, it's like, um, okay. but kind of like that. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how to explain <laughs> it. Has voodoo like tendencies? It's like, yeah, it's like a little bit like, yeah, voodoo, it has voodoo tendencies. <laughs> All right. I'll have to check that one out. I probably shouldn't say that because maybe somebody who's a Santeria practicer and it's like, they're like, no, it's not that. Um, but it's basically like there's multiple, like there's a bunch of different gods and then, you know, you have to like do rituals to appease the gods there. Yeah. So it's, yeah. And this was in Cuba? No, this was in Cuba. I mean, it is in Cuba, I would assume Cuba is like 90 plus percent Catholic or at least Christian? I think so. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I think it is. Um, yeah. yeah. Neither of us are experts in no, Cuba. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, okay, so that's cool. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about what you're doing now. Okay. So what's, what's your day look like? Right, well, so right now, um, I'm actually a grad student mm -hmm. at UW. Okay. I'm doing an MS of entrepreneurship. Okay. So I'm taking a bunch of business classes, which is hard <laughs> for somebody who's from coming from a creative background. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm learning a lot, and I really like it, and I think it's, I, I wish that um, they would have had classes like that from film school. Mm -hmm. I think it's super important. Like, I'm telling all my film friends that you should be taking business classes it's super important yeah. yeah 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 so what what so what was the catalyst to go from film school to a business school I think I always had in mind that I wanted to take some sort of business class mm -hmm. um, I just didn't know what and when I came across this program it made sense because it wasn't that long, it was a year, all the classes were classes that were beneficial to somebody who's an entrepreneur or a startup, um, and I think all filmmakers are kind of their own, their own entrepreneur, like they have to like, you know, kind of have their own company, create a film, it's kind of like really similar, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what, what have you picked up so far in business school that you applied to your film, your film background. Yeah, I think a lot of um, like finance and accounting. I think yeah. are huge things. Like I yeah. think that for filmmakers, it's something that we don't really want to think about. Um, but 
taking these classes, it really pushes it to the forefront and thinking about like funding and like thinking about the future mm -hmm. and like how every single decision that you make is kind of a financial one. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so let's talk about the, uh, the documentary. Yeah. Uh, so the documentary is a brief history of time travel that yes. premiered three weeks ago, October 25th. In Seattle, but I think the world premiere was actually at San Diego Comic-Con. Okay. Which is the biggest Comic-Con. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that was like in July. Okay. Yeah. Was, so I, tell me about that. I didn't... Have you ever been to a Comic-Con before? No, but I, I know I have an idea of what it would look like <laughs> or how, what that experience would be like. It's I'm, huge. It's yeah. huge. And you go there, it's kind of like a festival, like everyone's wearing crazy costumes and they're all hardcore fans of like a film or like a TV show or like with The Walking Dead and it's just like everyone's kind of celebrating like their their fandom. Yeah. So it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Did you did you celebrate your fandom? Did you <laughs> I wish <sport> I... <laughs> costumes? I did not. I did not. I, mean, I know. If you don't. I know. I did not. I was too busy trying to figure out where I was supposed to scream <laughs> and I was getting nervous. So, yeah. So let's talk about the the documentary. Yes. So to just um, so we talked about film, and a little bit. We'll come back to, to a little bit more about film, but why science fiction, and within that science fiction silo, why time why travel? Why time travel? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so growing up, I was a huge nerd. Obviously, I grew up watching Star Trek with my dad. Like my favorite Star Trek is Voyager because there's a woman captain, Captain mm -hmm. Janeway. So, I grew up watching that. Um, always been like into sci-fi. Um, it wasn't until uh, film school I watched um, this film called La Jetée, which is like my favorite film of all time. And it's very romantic. It's black and white. It's in French, but it also happens to have time travel in it. So I think that was kind of like the catalyst where I was like, oh, like that first time where I was like, oh, I want to kind of want to learn more about a topic and what better way to learn more about something than do a documentary on it. So that's how that kind of like snowballed. Yeah. Um, but now thinking about it, I also think Cuba had a lot to do with that as well, mm -hmm. because when you go to Cuba, it's kind of like going back in time. Yeah. Yeah. Because everything's kind of still stuck like in the 1950s before the trade embargoes happened. Um, it's just like, yeah, there's still like those old 50s cards. I don't, I don't know anything about cars, but like Ford, I don't know, yeah, Chrysler, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But they're like yeah. those big like yeah. boxes of metal that are <laughs> <Yeah>. just like <laughs> trucking down the, the highways and stuff. And it's like everything's like all the uh, hotels are like kind of in this 50s like style, yeah. like Mad Men style building. Yeah. So yeah, it's like you're kind of going back in time. And so I think. In hindsight, that was definitely probably an influence on me as well. Did you have the idea for the documentary while at Cuba, or it was after? It, it was after. Yeah, it was yeah. after. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, how, so the so t two questions will kind of parse these. So, one is, um, what was the biggest insight as a filmmaker yeah. in going through the documentary process, um, and then in terms of the actual subject matter? content yeah what was the biggest insight there so just maybe 
film, doing the film, like going in, what did you learn? Probably coming out, what did you learn? Yeah. Um, and then sitting down with all these unique people, uh, what did you learn about the subject matter right. content? Um, so when I was doing the documentary, like the research for it, um, I think that's when I started to realize that there's just so many different like perspectives of how people view time travel. I think science fiction is just one very small aspect of that, and that's what we tend to think about like today. Like if you ask somebody down the street, it's like, oh, like what do you think about time travel? They're gonna think of like, oh, Back to the Future, like mm -hmm. Doctor Who, mm -hmm. but it's so much more than that. There's so many different. Um, like when I was doing the documentary, I got to interview like a computer scientist, and he thinks of time travel as what um, if the universe was a computer, then time travel would be really easy. And that's a perspective that not that many people have. Um, I got to interview like a cryonicist and she talks about like if you are kind of frozen, like you know when you go to sleep, you see like those sci-fi movies and like they're going long distances on a spaceship so they have to like go to sleep in like this little right. chamber. So that's what yeah. it is. It's basically that would be like time travel because you'd be waking up um, like God knows how many years into the future, but you're yeah. still like at it's just a second to you. So yeah, that would yeah, be yeah. that would be like time travel. Yeah. Yeah. So um yeah, I I think that really um struck me and that's how I wanted the documentary to go. Because initially when I was starting to do the documentary, I think I was looking more into, oh, like, um, I want to learn more about the science the science like physicists versus the fanatics. And then it changed over time as I got to like research more about different topics and stuff. So can you expand on that? So you were talking about looking at more of it through an academic lens versus people who love Back to the Future and have the posters on their wall. Exactly. Uh, yeah. 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 Initially it was going to be, I was thinking it was going to be like that. And then um, as I started researching, I, I got really interested in the the academic part of it or also like the history of it like not there's not that many like not not that many um documentaries or like information that talk about like kind of the historical aspects of time travel mm -hmm. like one of the very first story that has time travel in it is in the Mahabharata which is like the first like written piece like like from human history it's like the first written book in human history, I think. Yeah. yeah. Oh, ever? Ever, yeah. And it, it references time, time travel? Time travel in it, yeah. Huh. So it's like time travel is something that we're thinking about all the time, right? Yeah. It's like I can think about, oh, like I wish it didn't spill this cup of coffee on me like <laughs> right, 30 seconds right. ago. I wish I could go back in time and like not have done that. It's like very human of us to think about time in that sense. Uh, which one of your interviews blew you away the most? Who, where, like, well, yeah, just... Yeah, I think all of them, like, it's so hard to choose one. Um, I think, well, I really liked talking to Bill Nye the Science Guy because mm -hmm. I grew up watching him. So yeah. that was kind of like this childhood dream, like, come true. It's like, oh, Bill Nye the Science Guy. So <laughs> yeah. that was fun. Um, I really liked talking to um, um, this Dr. Dasa. He is um, he runs like this uh, Hindu. Um, it's called the Jiva Institute, 
but he talks about time travel from like this more Eastern religion perspective yeah. and like how they view time time over there is like very cir circular, cyclical, right? So he has this idea of like, it was just, it was really interesting like hearing his perspective on on time. Yeah. So tell me more, what, what did- Yeah, uh, um, he, what did he say? So He's this like is kind so of a many... third dimension, right? So you've got like the fans, you've got the academics, and you've got a spiritual component. Yeah, so I would say like the documentary is kind of like a biography of the idea of time travel. So it goes from like the very beginning to the present and then to like the future, like what's going to happen or mm -hmm. is time travel going to happen in the future? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to keep going. Oh, no, I can, I can keep on going. Uh... <laughs> So, oh, so I gotta, I gotta ask you about this guy. So, okay, Dr. Ronald Mallet. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah, he's interesting. He's so cool. Yeah. So, what was, so professor of theoretical physics? Yeah, at, at UConn. U yes, University, University of Connecticut. So he's working on a. So he actually wrote a paper about building like a quote-unquote time machine. Mm -hmm. um, so theoretically it's possible, um, according to his paper, and now he's trying to get the funding to actually make the time machine in the lab in the university. Really? Yes. Um, but it's not like what you would think. Like I think that you, we think of a time machine as like this man getting into a- It's a, a DeLorean. Little, yeah, it's a DeLorean. It's yeah. like you get into like the machine, you, turn back the dials and then boop you're like in the 1800s <laughs> I don't know <laughs> but uh, the way that Ron thinks of uh, time travel is uh, the way that his time machine would work it's kind of like using lasers so the machine would actually be like a very very small box and he would take like neutrons and send them back milliseconds so he'd be technically be able to send information back in time which is really cool Wow yeah so it's Okay. Yeah. Right. You should watch the documentary so you yeah, can find out yeah, more about that's, it. Yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, that's kind of blowing my mind right Yeah, um, and he also has a really great backstory, um, how he yeah. got into time travel. Like, I think it had to do with his father. He passed away, and, like, his mm -hmm. Ron would really wanted to, like, go back in time and, like, relive that, like, see his dad again. So I don't want to, like, spoil the whole thing, but, yeah. yeah. He has a good backstory. He has a good backstory. He has a good backstory, yeah. Uh, what was Bill Nye like? Busy. He's he's great, though. He's so um, succinct. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he takes, like, really tough... I mean, obviously, time travel is, like, such a hard topic to grasp. Yeah. And he made it really easy to understand. From a science perspective? From a science perspective, yeah. yeah. Because he kind of blurs the lines between pop culture and science yeah. and probably not spirituality, but... Yeah. Um, uh, so where would you go if you could travel? Oh. Time travel. What would you do? Where would you go? I thought about this. Okay, I want to go 100 years into the future because mm. it's not too far ahead where everything's so further advanced where I'm not going to be able to like interact like or understand like how the world world works yeah so it's just enough so 100 years 100 years so, uh 2118 
yes. sit in your DeLorean for 2118. <laughs> yes, I am. You think you, we, so if we went back 1918, oh, you, so if we brought a 1918 person into this room, do you think? They'd be able they could to. probably navigate it. They could it, navigate it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But I don't know if it's that linear. Like, it seems like we're from 1918 to today. Yeah. And today to 2118. It feels like it's going to Oh, it's going to explode. Ex yeah, right? exponential well, growth, right? Yeah. 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 Um, but I feel like somebody from the 1918 would be able to so what, hang out. <laughs> what would be your preferred method of time travel? Oh, um... You want to just do the freeze thing? No, I wouldn't because then you couldn't go back. Ah. Uh, yeah. Freeze only works on the fast forward. Yes. Makes sense. So I would... It would have to be a machine where you'd be able to go back. So where would, would, where would you go in the past? Oh, that's hard. I don't know. I feel like the past is kind of dangerous for, like, women and, like... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And minorities. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you could, so that, that um, quantum leap? Yeah. Do you know that? This is probably a little bit it's blurring before though. your time. It's blurring, though. I watched so many movies. You have to remind me. <laughs> like, so quantum leap was a, a series on NBC. Okay. It was a, uh, a weekly. Right. Not a, probably not a sitcom, but a weekly series. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to check this out. So it was probably late early 90s, late 80s, mm -hmm. and it was this, I think he was a, a doctor of, a physics doctor or something like that, and he would, he would get transported, unknowingly, he would get transported back in time, mm -hmm. and he would uh, appear in someone else's body, Oh. and then his role was to try to change the course of history, Okay. but he didn't know who he was. He didn't know uh, what okay. he was responsible okay. for change. So he had to, yeah, like yeah. the 30 minutes yeah. was him trying, probably 60 minutes, was him trying to figure out. Okay. And then he had this sidekick, this guy named Al. Okay. I think it was Al, who would help paint some color on what he's supposed, supposed to, to do. Yeah. Did he watch that? Well, oh, I was a huge Quantum Leap Really? Fan. Okay. Huge. You need to check it out. Okay. Yeah. I feel like I watched an episode once, but... I'm gonna revisit that. Well, so there's a good if you so if you track down um, Colbert did something. So apparently, so so apparently, um, there was an episode where Scott Bakula is the the doctor, whatever his name is, mm -hmm. and Scott Bakula is a taxi cab driver in New York City. Okay. This is an actual episode in the '90s. Okay. In these. This family jumps in to the cab, and Scott Bakula, like, points out the he's in New York. He points out the the um, the skyline and says something like about real estate or something. And it turns out that the the young kid is Donald Trump. Oh, so this happened back okay. in the nineties. Okay. And so Colbert did a pretty funny Colbert bit um, after the election. <laughs> about how Bakula needs to, to change the way that he's addressing a young Donald Trump back in like the 60s or whenever. It's good. Okay, it's I'm going gonna, gonna to give that episode a, it's pretty, a watch. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. I'm going to watch that. Uh, so let's talk about just creativity, yeah. your inspiration for creativity. 
putting yourself out there in launching a film. Right. Um, where do you find the inspiration? Can you just talk through like how difficult it is putting yourself out <laughs> and saying this is Gisela and that's a loaded question, Sam. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. Okay, um, I would say it is. It's really difficult for me. So I'm. I would consider myself an introvert. Mm -hmm. Like I don't. I'm not the type of person that would like put myself out there. But because of this film and because of the things that I'm doing, I feel like I have to, and that's really pushed me. Mm -hmm. um, which I think is good, right? Because you need to grow and you need to do things that are kind of like pushing your comfort, getting you out of your comfort zone. Right. And I guess that leads to your other um, question about inspiration. I think like being pushed out of your comfort zone really helps inspire you, I think. Um, or I don't, I'm trying to think of like a good example of that, but because I guess it's just like you're learning about more things. You're doing something new, right? You're growing as a person. Mm -hmm. So are there moments during, so how long did it take to, to film the documentary? Like what it, the, from, the, yeah. from the idea to the premiere? It's a long time. I would say like probably five years from idea to mm -hmm. like the ending. And it's still not ending. Even yeah. though the film is like completed, there's still yeah. things that you have to do, like distribution. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's like a huge, it's a huge, pro it's like a marathon, I think. That's yeah. how I would equate like a documentary film going. Um, yeah, because there's like so much, there's research and then pre-production, you have to plan things out, um, get a crew, and then the difficulty with documentary filmmaking um, is that things don't go according to plan, so you have to be okay with things just coming up and you have to go with plan B. So I think the biggest thing that I learned from doing the documentary is like always have a plan B. Mm -hmm. like you can only plan or you know yeah you can only plan up to a certain point and then at that point you have to kind of let it go and just let the chips fall yep yeah um so i'm going to shift gears a little bit here on you so when you get in front of bill nye or dr mallet or yeah. any of these um any of these people that you're interviewing What's your methodology, or what's your price? Like, help me deconstruct when you lock down Bill Nye. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the process that you use to get Bill Nye to reveal the insights that you want him to reveal? Do you have a process? Is it more? Yeah, I organic think, or I think it's. Um, I think it takes practice, like with interviewing people, right? Mm -hmm. I think you the the first thing that I usually do. Bill Nye's a little bit different, right? Because he's been in front of cameras and he knows yeah. how to like talk yeah. um, to people and stuff. So I feel like that was really easy. It's harder when you're talking to somebody who doesn't really have the experience of like public speaking, mm -hmm. and they might be a little bit shy. So yeah. you, you have to like kind of coax them into it. Um, I guess what I do is like I. I will probably have like a set list of questions and then I, depending on the conversation, I will kind of go off topic or come back to that. But it's kind of like this list of like things like here are the questions that like I definitely want um, answered and then here are like my 
other questions that I'd love to have answered, but it's not totally necessary um, for me to have. Um, and usually like when I'm interviewing people, I'll kind of like ask really simple questions at the beginning, um, maybe general questions about them. And then at the end of the interview, I'll maybe go back to a couple questions that might, they might have not um, got at the beginning. And usually towards the end, they're more comfortable. So they're more succinct in their answers. I can't say succinct. I can't, I don't know what's <laughs> You know what? Succinct? Succinct? God. I should have asked you for yeah. this methodology before we turned the mics on. <laughs> uh, probably could have learned something from you. So when you go in, so just, um, so you have a goal. Yeah, you have to have a goal. You have a goal in talking to any of the interviewees. Yeah, you have to, because you have to think of it from the perspective of like, um, you're going to have to edit it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you think about like what the film is going to be like, like where, like what exactly, like do you, what are the sound bites that you need? Like what do you like, what would you like for them to say? But maybe they're not going to say like what you need for them to say, so just be open to that. Right. Yeah. So how do you, um, so I'm interested in, I'm interested in the, the, the just film in general mm -hmm. as a platform. Yeah to communicate a message to a specific audience. Um, so just the process of, well, it's, let's say documentaries. That makes it a little bit different than just film in general, right? So, so if we go specific to documentaries, mm -hmm. and so you've got this cast of, of um, actual people, and you're trying to draw conversation out of the cast of people, and then using the film as a platform to communicate to a specific audience that you, so can you just talk through, um, can you talk through, all right, where am I trying to go with this? So I'm trying to draw a parallel mm -hmm. between uh, like the magic and the translation. So you have all these voices mm -hmm. and you have this audience over here mm -hmm. and you have an idea of, I'm assuming you have an idea of who that audience is. Right. Right. So maybe that's, you have your vision of what you want to communicate. Yeah. You have an idea of who that audience is going to be. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And then just... Getting those people Yeah. To just like the, 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 I, th there's so many parallels in my industry. Okay. Where you're trying to capture ideas mm -hmm. and information and goals and objectives and dreams and all and there's some magic in that conversion mm -hmm. right and the audience is probably a couple mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know two people and so you're trying to actually you're trying to ask them the right questions convert it and bring it back to them right so I think there's there is um, information in what you do right. that can there, there are parallels that exist yeah that, totally yes. um, I think that with film well yeah I think the, the it's funny because and this is so similar to to like even in the classes that I'm taking right now it's mm -hmm. in film it's always like okay like who is your audience like that's a super important question that um, they always like drill that into is like always think about your audience even like during pre-production like who like your ideal audience is supposed to be usually people are like oh it can be like anybody but it's no it has to be a specific like group of people that you're film is going to be geared towards and of course there's going to be people outside of that sphere um, that are going to be interested in your film as well but you need to have that 
specific focus and that's yeah. the same thing like when I'm learning in grad school right it's like you have to have like who's your target market customer like who's your ideal customer like the Samsung like marketing thing I only remember I'm a visual person I don't remember <laughs> the words but it's like you know the big circle the smaller circle and the tiny circle like who's like in, who's gonna be in your tiny circle yeah yeah what's that called Sam like it's like Samsung like the S-A-M, I have to look this up, hold on one second, it's going to drive me. Sam, Sam, this is like a Venn diagram. Yeah, wait, it might be in here actually, hang on, I can find it. you got nice handwriting. Thank you. Tam, Tam, Sam, and Sam. Tam is total available market, Sam is served available market, and then served obtainable market. Tam, Sam, Sam. That's for marketing class. What was the last one? What was the Sam? Served of obtainable market. So that's so that's the like goal. the goal is the middle of the circle. So the smallest circle is like your like target market. Like those are going to be your customers, the mm -hmm. very start of your company that yeah. are like your hardcore fans, basically. Which I'm like waiting to like film, but it's like yeah, it's like your fan base. Yeah. And then the other two circles, like the larger circles, are like the amount of reach that you have outside of that fan base. So what was the Tam Sam Psalm for a brief a history, of time brief history of time travel? So I actually learned that from doing my Kickstarter. Yeah. So most of the people that donated to the Kickstarter project are mm -hmm. um, people who are into Comic Cons and like they're really hardcore like sci-fi fans. Yeah. So that's that was a great way to like make sure that that was my audience. And so I, I, I knew going in like after filming and everything that 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 was my target market. So you use Kickstarter as a litmus? Yeah. Because if, if the Kickstarter wouldn't have gone, then you'd have to figure out your psalm or... Kind of, yeah. It's like... Dis right. Discovery, different discovery. Exactly. Yeah. Or maybe like if the film wasn't... I wasn't explaining the film good enough or yeah. like, yeah, yeah. So it was a good kind of test to see if there was going to be people who would be willing to back your project. So yeah, I think Kickstarter is great in that sense, but it's also very very stressful <laughs> to do <laughs> how so it's just like you're, you're asking for all or nothing right that's yeah. like pretty terrifying yeah yeah and you got it and I got it yes I did um, so can you talk a little bit more about this so that yeah this, this about is like, great. So, so just this this yeah the dance right there's a little bit of a dance is. here between I, yeah the I understand what you're saying I think like um, so I think with in terms of filmmaking you're getting all this information, right? And it's not just the interviews. You're like getting like you're researching or whatever, but you as a person, like the director, you're the storyteller. So you're the you are the person that's translating all this information to your audience and it's through your voice. So I think that's ultimately where the magic happens, right? Because it's like with filmmaking, um, or doing documentaries, it's like you you can film this one event that happened right and that's like the truth because like you were there you filmed it but then as soon as you take out that film camera then it's turning like subjective right it's like there can be like infinite amount of people filming this one thing and they can have a different perspective on it as soon as you take that camera out and you're like putting it out into youtube right or like wherever you're putting it out does that make any sense it does but um well kind of so so when does it cross the line between objective and subjective? I think as soon as you push it out into the world? I think it's as soon as you take out the camera and you're like filming it, then it becomes subjective, right? 
because then that's it's you're through telling the lens of that of you of you yeah. okay I, okay I got gotcha. you yeah. I thought you meant I thought you meant once you capture that video but also it could be that too because yeah. if you if I filmed one event um, and I gave it to one editor yeah they would edit it one way versus somebody else would edit it completely different yeah so it's as soon as you take like something and you give it to somebody else like that's when that happens yep. the change of perspective yeah 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 so i'm just processing that <laughs> um well no i mean that's really good so i'm just trying to so the 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 role of the director mm -hmm. so i'm i'm curious about the balancing act between your target market some um whichever i know it's like served obtainable market or something yeah. okay yeah. Your fans. Don't worry. Yeah. Your best fans. Hardcore fans, yeah. At some point, yeah. I will, That's what this I is Tam Sam song will yeah. reappear. Okay. Yes, I'm, I'm a fan. It has my name in it, too, so it's better. <laughs> Sam, yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, wish, I wish it was the middle, so go with I'll go with the middle child. Um, so I'm curious about you're a director, and you have a vision of what you think this is going to be. Mm -hmm. And... And then you've got an audience. Mm -hmm. And at what point do you say, the audience be damned? This, I, I have this yeah. vision of what the, and they just don't understand oh, it. Yeah. Or maybe I'm not crafting it the right way initially on yeah. what the, the trailer versus the actual, right. right? So that's the problem. I think yeah. that's why documentaries are so hard to make. Like I think the average length of making a documentary is seven years. Wow. Yeah. And it's because like you have all this information that you're getting and then you're trying to like create a story from that and it's very hard to be listening to all because you're getting opinions from like all these different people mm -hmm. and you're doing like works in progress screenings to get get feedback but at the end of the day it's your decision and you're faced with like an infinite amount of decisions when you're like in the editing room you can like do whatever the heck you want and that's when you have a hard time i feel like so how how um with the, the documentary. I'm assuming it didn't start off. Yeah, well, you probably had a title. You had a. Can you can you walk me through like how many phases are there? Oh my there? god, so, infinite! Like so many phases. Like yeah. I probably have like more than forty different versions of the film. Like really? so many. Like so so many. Yeah, because you you're taking it down. You have to like basically in the editing process you have all this footage like you have a roll which is the interviews b rolls like like b rolls kind of like um i don't know what how to explain it side camera Just, yeah side camera like pictures of like Context. people's room yeah exactly yeah. um so a roll you have b roll um you have images that you're pulling from like research like um, and it's kind of like you take all the information, you start like choosing like what are some good ideas, like what you have, what are some good like sound bites, and then going from there creating like a little, uh, I'm totally spacing out on the words, oh my god, um, uh, like a first draft basically, kind yeah. of, and yeah. then yeah. you like will watch that, and then maybe some things work, maybe some things don't, and you might have to take this one section out and put this other section in, 
Um, but it's just a long process for doing that. It's I don't I don't know how to. There's no one way to do it. It's, it's just like art. it's so it's more good. art than science. Exactly. But there is a, a foundational structure that you work from, or is it is it like timeline based where you say I've got to have it depends draft done by oh well that's Jan like, one yeah. And I'm gonna have 15, maybe I'll have five, I don't have, but I'm gonna pick one on this date. Yeah, or, yeah. I yeah, it's hard, especially if like you're freelancing or you're working on it by yourself. Um, you're kind of setting your own deadlines, so it's you have to have somebody who's like kind of holding you accountable to that. Otherwise, it can just go on forever. Like I know people who are like working on documentaries for like 20 years, like wow. on the same one. Yeah, because wow. it's it's hard. So how did you? What was your accountability? function um i think it was my family <laughs> mm. you know it's good to like have like some somebody that you trust yeah. there that's like kind of like okay like otherwise you could i i could probably easily spend like a long time if i wanted to like just getting into the minute details like that's the problem with editing i think like you have to think of the big picture right yeah. like the overall film which is like now this i think the final film is like 65 minutes total and you're taking that from like hundreds of hours of footage, right? And you're boiling it down to 60 minutes. And then within that 60 minutes, you can like be nitpicking like, and it's so easy for me to like get into the details. So that was really hard for me to like take a step back and get out of it. Mm -hmm. But you can like nitpick and be like, oh, maybe this needs to be like maybe two extra like frames. But then it's like, in the long run, <laughs> nobody's nobody's gonna notice, like no one's gonna care. But when I'm watching it, I still care. But like, it's, it's that you have to like kind of juggle juggle all of that which is hard Do, is there a time um target for documentaries mm, it depends on like where the documentary is showing or screening mm -hmm. um and it really depends like if you're going to like a film festival um they might require you to like have it over 60 minutes because it's going to be a feature-length film under 60 minutes qualifies as a short so gotcha. that'll depend. And then versus, like, are you going to be in educational distribution? So probably if you're screening at a school, um, a class hour is, like, is one hour, so the film should be 45 minutes. So there can be some discussion afterwards. Okay. Or, like, are you going to be doing it on TV? So maybe it's, like, a 30-minute and then 45-minute version. So there's so many different ways that you can quantify the time. Well, yeah, right? so, yeah. But, but there's some science behind the time. Oh, yeah, right? for sure. Um, and so you went 65 so that you could qualify for um, film festivals but also I think initially I I knew that I wanted to keep to keep it like I knew I wanted to make like a feature-length documentary but I wanted to keep it short because I personally feel like sometimes documentaries like just take too long or it's just like they could have told the story um, it could have been shorter yeah. right and I don't I didn't want it my film to be like, oh, this is getting boring for me. Like, I wanted it to be exciting and, like, kind of in your face. And then you come out of it and you're like, oh, my God, I, like, want to learn more about this. And then <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go on Google and, like, <laughs> research some Go more bonkers. stuff about, yeah, about Ron Mallet. So, like, that's what I wanted <laughs> yeah. to do. Like, I wanted it to be like, oh, like, here's all this, like, cool information. Like, go, like, re kind of get make people inspired, you know? Like, yeah. get inspired by... Um, sci-fi and like time travel and like all these people that are in the film they they themselves were inspired by time travel and science fiction stories so that's I would say that that is kind of my goal with like, yeah. the film is just um, to inspire different people 
um, with science and how cool science is. So science in science general, fiction. not necessarily time travel. Not necessarily, yeah. Time travel is just one small sub. Yeah. That's the bait. It is. It gets them in, yeah. and then you switch it to just science in general. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, storytelling. Yeah. So, do, like, as a filmmaker, what's your what's your role? Like, I mean, what? Like, if you just said, as a filmmaker, my role is X. What? How do you answer as that? As a filmmaker, my role is. Gosh. Okay. I think this is hard for me because. I think the reason why I wanted to get into filmmaking when I was like younger, I was like, oh, like I want to change the world, you know, I want to make a difference. So I think that was a huge reason um, why I wanted to get into it. And then now that I'm thinking about it, it's like being a filmmaker is kind of like you're getting, it's kind of selfish, right? It's like you, you want to tell, you want to say something, you want to like get your message out there. Right, and that's ultimately what filmmaking is. It's like you have you want to give something to people and like have them listen to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just like any other any art. Medium yeah. Art, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, were you uh, were you surprised about or what? Probably a better question. What were you most surprised about? Now that you're on the other side of. A, a global premiere and a local premiere, would you call it a local premiere? I would say local, okay. yeah. So like what, what surprised you the most? Oh, um, I think like how long or how hard it was like mentally, mm. you know, it's because um, it's like you're working on this thing for so long and you, um, you put so much into it, you know, I don't, I don't think I really realized going into it like what I was getting myself into. Like mm. I was like, oh, like I want to make it film at some point in my life because I went to film school and now that I did it's like okay like um it was a lot of work and it was draining but it was really satisfying at the same time so is filmmaking in the future or I think it is still I think you know I I think I'm always going to be doing films no matter what I don't yeah. think I can help myself yeah. like it's going to be something that I'm like because Sometimes I'm like, oh my god, like that would be such a funny documentary, or oh, that's such a good idea, like that would be such a fun like thing to watch, like on YouTube or like a web series or something. And I think like I'm always like thinking of like ideas, like I have like a whole book of like ideas that I think are really cool, and then they go back to it, and I'm like, oh, some of them aren't okay, <laughs> some are like, kind of crap, but there's a couple good ones that like you know. <laughs> I don't know, do you do that? Do you like... Go up with film ideas? Or just like ideas in general, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I have a... I think that, that that's like... I, think I have that's, a one-note film of ideas. <laughs> really? Yes, that will never see the light of day. <laughs> I actually have a tab, ideas. Really? Yeah. See, but I think that a lot of people do, like in... Um, even in startups, right? Like in, yeah. in my program, like we're always thinking about business ideas. Like, right. oh, like here's like a business idea that I have bunch of them are pretty crappy business ideas yeah. some of them are good and then there's like a few that you're gonna think like okay this is like realistic for me that I'm gonna want to put the time and effort into it mm -hmm. you know that's that's the big question right so is that the that's the same process with your films I think so well yeah. is it different for films because is it with films is it um like with businesses business ideas you're probably talking viability right profitability and all that type of stuff right with film it's it could be passion It project. is, yeah. Some right. of them are more passion-based, right? Um, but others, like, you have to think about the 
feasibility. Like, are you going to get funding or not? Yeah. You know? That's yeah. a huge part of it. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So, let's see. What's next? <laughs> What's next? Um, well, so I want to dig a little bit more into this masters in entrepreneurship yeah so just the tam why Sam's. the tam besides <laughs> besides the tam sam song um why a masters in entrepreneurship um like what do you expect to get out of the masters in entrepreneurship mm -hmm. uh so you finish next spring yes right? yeah can you just talk through that a little bit? Yeah, so I always knew that I wanted to take some sort of business class mm -hmm. um, because I feel like, especially after doing the documentary, I really understand the creative aspect, mm -hmm. but I don't with the business aspect. And I think that there's part of me that kind of like shied away from that. Like, I don't want to think about the numbers and like, like I don't want to hear about like my budget and stuff when I want to like do something creative, right? Like that's yeah. the least thing that I want to think about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and but it's the right brain fighting the left brain. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's something that you don't want to think about, but it's important to think about in order to be successful, right? right. Um cuz I've seen like a lot of like I don't want to it's not like I I see like a lot of people that are like giving up so much for their craft and like they're really amazing filmmakers, but like there needs to be both. Like you need to have good business like acumen as well in order to like be successful. And yeah, that's that's a huge reason why I wanted to do or take a business class. And this program at UW just happened to have like all the classes that um, you would take if you like want to create a startup or like a production company or whatever. So that's kind of like why I was like, oh, this class seemed really cool and interesting. Mm -hmm. And it was only a year. Yeah. <laughs> so that was good. That was yeah. a bonus too. Um, and I also really like it because everybody in the program is um, comes from a different background. Mm -hmm. And I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. So is, are you looking at the, the program as a platform to... Well, so what's next after after the program? What's what what happens yeah. once you've got that diploma and you throw your hat up in the air? Like what? Yeah. Then what? Well, I ideally like I'd be able to run a successful like production company or mm -hmm. business, whatever I'm doing. I feel like I'm always going to be in film, so it's going to be film related. Yeah. Um, but that's what I want. I don't think I'd be able to ever work for the man anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> you have, yeah, right? I you have. Did. Yes, I did. I was, you were at an agency in at, New York. I was in an ad agency. I was like, it was like Mad Men, but a, a lot crazier. <laughs> a lot crazier? Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I won't go there. Yeah. Uh, how long were you at the agency? Uh, it's, it was like a couple of years. I, got, I was interning there while I was um, still in in college okay. and then I ended up getting a job there yeah afterwards and I was doing like film related stuff mm -hmm. um, I was like doing branded entertainment so like kind of like uh, putting brands into like TV shows or like web series it's kind of like a liaison between like production company and big like, like Ikea or 
Yeah, um, like pro product placement it's stuff. It's kind of like basically. product placement, except it's like putting it in, so it's like more than just like, oh, here, it just happens to have like a Subway sandwich here. It's like more <laughs> like integrated into the story. Oh, yeah. where they go to Subway and... Uh, well, one example is we did a show called Fix This Kitchen. Mm -hmm. So it was a home renovation show, and you'd get Ikea, an Ikea kitchen. So that's, it's more integrated that way. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> it was interesting. Really yeah. Cool. And it was good because, like, I feel like I learned a lot, like, at the beginning, and then it kind of hit a plateau, right? And it's just, like, it gets kind of, like, you, you learned, like, all that you can at that point, and then you're not really, like, growing and mm -hmm. I think I got kind of bored from that and it was a lot of long hours and then that's when I started thinking about like what am I gonna do with my life yeah, <laughs> so yeah. yeah well so what 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 uh, was there a moment or what, was there something that happened where you decided this is it I'm done with this and I'm I because after the agency yeah you went to I came back home. You came back home with yeah. grad school. Oh, well, are you, you worked on the film the for a little film bit. And then yeah. And program. Okay. Yeah. Um, is there a moment? I don't know. I, I guess, like, looking back at it, I think, like, I, I, were, I saw other people that were in the company that were kind of, like, five years older than me and, like, how, like, their lives were and, like, where they were headed. And I decided that that's not really what I see myself doing or not really what I want to do. Yeah. So I think that was like a huge thing for me. Yeah, it was like yeah. a slow build mm -hmm. and a realization. Because at the time you were still working out on the documentary. Is that right? Kind of. No. Uh, so it was no, it not was, a focus. It wasn't a focus, okay. yeah. Gotcha. It was like an idea. Okay. But not a focus focus, yeah. So what was that like? What was what was the so so you left a job. Yeah. Where you had a paycheck. Yes. You it was hard. Home. It was scary. And you worked on a documentary. It's scary. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, it's scary. I, I don't know. I feel like. Like how you probably you had, how many holy shit moments did you have in the first? Um, a lot. It was really really scary. Um, and there was definitely times where I'm like, what the heck am I doing? Like I don't know. Like it's the right decision. Like second guessing that, but. I think I've noticed this too, like a pattern that I have is like I, if there's something that I'm scared, I'm really scared of, like I will probably do it. Like it's like <laughs> I'm a masochist, you know, I don't know. Like I, I'm scared of heights, so I decided to do rock climbing. Like I'm scared of public speaking, so I decided to take public speaking classes. And I think it's like, goes back to the whole idea of pushing boundaries and that, yeah. I feel like that makes you a better person, right? Yeah. So trying to like do things that you are uncomfortable with. Um, but I think like with that specific like quitting the job and moving back home um, I wouldn't have done that without like the support like of my family I think that was super important like it would have been so much harder if there wasn't any support there But luckily my parents were like really supportive of me and like what I wanted to do So I think that was like a huge huge like reason why I was able to do it Where where does this pushing boundaries come from? Like when you, like this recognition that I don't like that. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. But I'm going to throw myself <laughs> in. I don't know when it started happening. Um, I think like as I've been growing, like I've been doing it a lot more. Um, but I think it has a lot to do with, um, 
don't know, like probably like my, my parents, they're usually will, will say something like, oh, you should do this thing. I'm like, I don't want to do it. And they're like, no, it's good for you. So it's like, fine, I'll do it. But then I don't know where it got to the point where I, I feel like it started becoming more of like something that I identify with doing. Like I like tackling, you know, it's like confronting your fears, like facing your fears kind of thing. It's like somebody telling you like, oh, I dare you to like, yeah touch that <laughs> it's yeah. like, and it's like fine I will <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like Christmas story right it's yeah like exactly the, the pole pole. Yeah. yeah yeah um but you've got an awareness of it yeah now, right oh so yeah like so it's now it's completely different because now you have an awareness exactly and you've succeeded yeah in tackling yeah because I think like it, it has to it has to have been I don't think it, I was like this like when I was in undergrad or college either because I think like looking back at myself that time like I was so shy like I it's really hard for me to like get out of that space right mm-hmm. like being an introvert and like not wanting to like talk in class and like those things and then yeah I got to a point where it's like you're not gonna like be a better person you know or be successful if you don't do these things. Actually, I think that the film probably pushed me a lot, right? Because doing the documentary, like I wasn't gonna get the documentary out there unless I had to do like a Kickstarter, right? Mm-hmm. I, and I wasn't like going to be a better public speaker or like I wasn't gonna network. Um, or I wouldn't, I, I don't know what I'm saying, like, but I wouldn't be able to, um, make the film successful if I didn't do these things yeah, that I don't want to do, but it have to do it in order for this thing to actually work out, which is the film. So. There were plenty of forks in the road where you could have yeah. stopped. Exactly. But I couldn't stop because I quit my job and I had to do this. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I had to see it through. <laughs> uh, to take the island, you have to burn the boat. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, were there, was there any one particular moment so you so you leave New York, you jump on the plane, mm-hmm. you get home, mm-hmm. you're getting started on this documentary. Was there any moment where like the like the biggest fork in the road, where where it was like, ooh, this is a hard. It's a probably during the editing process um, because there's like an infinite amount of forks in the road and yeah. that's overwhelming. Yeah, and I think um, that that was probably like and it was it's more of a mental thing right it's like oh there's definitely like there are definitely moments um while i was doing the film where it's like oh like i don't know like am i doing the right thing second guessing yourself i think is like a huge um doing it too much isn't isn't healthy you right like yeah and that's i think like at that moment like in the editing process you're like watching things over and over and over it felt like i was time traveling i was stuck in like <laughs> i was stuck in like a little exactly <laughs> no time travel exactly yeah so that was that was it i think probably one of the hardest parts of the filmmaking process mm, that's interesting yeah uh all right shift gears one more yes and then um wrap this up okay um so back to time travel. Okay. You met with a lot of incredible people. Yeah. Uh, top of the field. Right. Top of their respective fields, and kind of in some cases directly tied toward time travel, in other cases mm-hmm. kind of loosely tied, but all under this banner of right. time travel. So I'm curious about 
decision making mm-hmm. and just how so let's say time travel was real we had a DeLorean it, it, right here it is or, real or, though okay all right okay. <laughs> so, so, just that's right. Dr. Mallet. <laughs> apologies to Dr. Mallet. No, no, I mean, like, technically, we're time traveling right now, like, second by second. Okay, so we gotta explore. Let's talk about this. I can't <laughs> believe I missed this. So let's talk about, let's talk about this. Okay. Right. So, time travel is real. Yeah. Okay, so let, please, please explain. I mean, technically, we're time traveling into the future, second by second. Okay. But if you talk to physicists, they'll tell you that, um, Time runs differently in different mm-hmm. places. So here on Earth, time is running at a certain speed versus like on the space station, which is like a little bit slower. Yeah. So if you're in the space station for long enough and you come back down to Earth, you would be like a couple seconds younger mm. than you're, you are like somebody else's here. Yeah. So it's this idea of called, it's called time dilation. Um, so like, yeah, if you're like, or if you're like in a different, maybe a different planet that has like a different gravitational field, like your time is going to be running differently than our time here. It's like Interstellar. Have you watched Interstellar? I think so. It's with, um, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Yeah. So where he gets stuck on the planet? Uh, he, he gets stuck on a planet for a little bit, but then he like gets into a Tesseract and he's like talking to his like daughter, like. Through, through the Tesseract, like, back oh, when she was, yeah. like, young, and then... It's Matt Damon? He, Matt Damon's in it. Or did you say Matt? Matthew Matt McConaughey. Yeah, 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 yeah. The book? They pushed the book? Yes, they pushed thing? the book. Yeah, 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 yeah that's oh, it. That blew my mind. Yeah, but remember, like, he was in this... He went to, like, one planet, or, like, a bunch of them went to, like, one, like, planet with those, like, this whole ocean. Yeah. And then by the time they came back, like, the guy that was at, like, on the space... Um, on the spaceship, he's like super, super old. It's yeah, like yeah, twenty yeah. years for him, yeah, and then yeah. Yeah. so yeah. that's kind of time dilation. Yeah, I mean, I've so I've I've listened to, um, I mean, physicists. The way that physicists can articulate this and, and kind of quantify and define it. That's uh, crazy. It's, it's mind blowing. So crazy, yeah. Like the galaxy and the black holes in the in the galaxy and just yeah. It's about uh, I, I well you would know I I would. Ex- it, they can quantify because what you're talking about when you said time dilation yeah that's they can quantify the speed of the gravitational yep. pull yeah. in certain places yep. and then they back into yeah you're going to age faster and slower yeah exactly right? yeah okay so that's yeah that's pretty cool no it's cool and then also um this idea of like time it's not just time and it's not just space it's like time space like that's like this term in Tell me more. physics. No, it's you just like it's we think of like time as like this one just this one like thing and mm-hmm. then space is this completely different thing, but it's actually they're intertwined together. Um, like space time, not time space, space time. That's what okay. they call it, right? Like space time. So Yeah. Um that's it. And that's the speed of time within that particular geography is that how you is that what? no I think it's just like um oh my gosh it's just like it, the way that I view it and I am not a physicist so I might be getting this completely <laughs> wrong but uh it's like it's just intertwined like space and time like exactly what I was saying earlier like space like if you're here on this space like time runs 
at one speed, and yeah. then you might be in a different space, and it could be completely different. Okay. In a different way. Okay. At a different speed. Okay. Yeah. And then I spoke to a philosopher about time travel, and he took this idea of space time to like this different level for me, where it's where it's like um, if you could, if you could travel to any moment in space, then you could travel through any moment in time. Like you could go to yesterday. Yesterday might be like over here, and then tomorrow might be over there. Mm -hmm. So. Trippy. It is trippy. It's really trippy. It is trippy. Yeah. I mean, so how how is this change? Like, what's your what's your stance? What's your My perspective stance. on? I mean, you talk to some pretty incredible people. Uh, um, I think my perspective is that there are so many different perspectives, and we should look at all of those. Don't like and not just negate everything right like I feel like a lot of people if you talk to them they'll be like oh like I don't think time travel is real or like I don't like I only see things from one, one from this one perspective and I think that it's important to look at all the different perspectives and I'm really glad that I was able to do this film because I got to talk to like all these different people in here with all these different perspectives and I really love that um, and there's so many things that like I wish I could have put into the film and I couldn't like because it's only 60 minutes yeah. <laughs> so yeah how did your perspective change on time travel bef before and after um I think I've now I'm a lot more open to it like mm -hmm. I definitely like if you ask me if I believe in time travel or not I do I do think I do believe in it um I just don't think it's going to be in the in I, I think it's possible and I think it's going to happen I just don't think it's going to happen the way that we we usually imagine, right? Like getting into a little machine and then jumping back in time through a TARDIS. Magic school bus. Exactly. Yeah. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be something completely different. Do you know what it is? <laughs> What's the completely different? I don't know. I well, like what Ron's working on, right? Like taking like um, lasers and sending neutrons back in time. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but it'll turn out some, some sort of way. It's like any like idea in science fiction and that's come into fruition in, in yeah. real life, right? It's yeah. like, I don't know, like the tricorder from Star Trek and like now we have cell phones, Yeah, you know? It's like yeah. nobody would have made the connection until right. like it actually happened and you're able to look at it. Now you're like, you, now you see like, oh yeah, it's totally. Yeah, the yeah. iWatch and exactly. what's his name? The cartoon character. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so back to the decision making. Okay. So if 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 so this this so I, I can't remember the name of the company. There's some company out there mm -hmm. in financial services that has this like future you versus current you oh, really? playing um, ping pong or so, you know. It, oh, really? And it's just it's trying to. I think there's a lot of research on if if you had a view mm -hmm. on who you were in the future, you would change the decisions that you make today. Yeah. Right. Um, and probably even if you had view, if you had a camera or if you had um, film yeah. watching the decisions you made even yesterday that would change the decisions that you're making. It may change the decisions you make today. Yeah. Right? So it's yeah. just like this kind of awareness mm -hmm. concept. So I'm curious about um, your perspective on 
decision making and how time travel could impact people making decisions, decisions. either getting better I would well I would assume they're getting better <laughs> but maybe I'm wrong that's why I'm asking you the question okay <laughs> I think that's tricky because um, I feel like if time travel was actually possible and you can like physically go back and change something then mm. people would be making mistakes all the time like and they don't care and they could be like I can just change it whenever I want to yeah but but I feel like um something that I've learned like doing this documentary is that I've noticed that um, it's very human, right, to think about the future and the past. And I think a lot of us have regrets, right? Or we have like dreams of like what's gonna happen. We envision ourselves like, oh, we, I would love to like be retired like when I'm like 40 and like living it up and like, <laughs> you know, it's like those, yeah. like are you like regret something that you did like two years ago and you're like, well, I don't know, like lie awake at night and you're like oh my god like that thing that happened like two years ago it shouldn't have happened and then right. you regret that so i think that's like really natural for us but um actually like i don't know like what you were saying about the, um thinking about like future you and like how future you is gonna look at how you are today um like i think that's innate like in us to think that, but maybe not from a financial perspective mm -hmm. all the time, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so where where can we find you? Where can we find information about all the amazing <laughs> stuff that you're working on? Thank you. Um, you can go to if you want to find more about the documentary, you can go to timetraveldoc.com and. Also, same Twitter, Time Travel Doc at Twitter, Time Travel Doc on Facebook. And then if you want to find out more about me, I'm at Gisela B on Twitter. G-I-S-E-L-L-A-B. <laughs> but I'm so bad at Twitter, but I'm going to use it more now. So. <laughs> <laughs>